everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Gotera of the KHAU 11 sports team. We had a brief hiatus there for the holiday season, which, by the way, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, or whatever you guys celebrate at home. I uh, hope you guys had a fruitful time with friends, family, or if you got to travel, uh, experience some new things. That's what holidays are all about. I'm all about eating. Uh, I joke with my wife all the time that my holiday season actually starts on our anniversary, October 19th, um, and then it extends all the way through her birthday, which is on January 5th. So, like, you know, January 6th, I'm, like, back on my routine. But, you know, the holiday season is pretty long for me. So I, uh, I enjoyed it. I had a little bit of time off, uh, spent some time with the family. Uh, most of my family is here in town. Have some family in Chicago, have some family in Miami, but most of my immediate family and her immediate family is here in town. So, had a good Christmas. Santa was good to uh, my son. It was good to me. It was very uh, Captain America Christmas for me. Uh, I'm a big Captain America guy, big Marvel MCU fan. So, uh, that's what I uh, focused on for my Christmas wish list, and I got it. So, anyway, hope you and yours had a great holiday season. This is episode 11 of the Time Out with DG podcast. Today, we're actually talking to a voice that you've heard on many platforms throughout the years, both here in Houston, on the national scene, and now on College Football Saturdays, mostly on College Football Saturdays. His name is Spencer Tillman, former Oklahoma Sooner great, uh, former Houston Oiler, San Francisco 49er, national champion in college, Super Bowl champion with San Francisco when he was a uh, co-captain with Ronnie Lott and Joe Montana back in the day. He has a tremendous story to tell. He's one of those guys that has been very successful in his broadcast career post-playing days. A guy that you can really look up to uh, if you're an athlete that really wants to get into this field. He spends a lot of his time in Houston, but during the college football season, you can hear him doing analysis with Tim Brando on Fox Sports, uh, College Football Saturdays. Uh, he's just a great guy, great overall personality. He's a very smart guy, someone who I love to chat with every chance that I get, and that's exactly what we did in this episode, talking about his football journey, his broadcast journey, and his outlook on life. And yes, we also talked about that pro team here in town. Spencer Tillman joining us here on the uh, Time Out with DG podcast. Spencer, thanks for coming over to the studio. My pleasure. You're a friend. Uh, usually we sit next to each other all the time at Texans games, yeah. which are very stressful, <laughs> especially this last week. <laughs> I looked over at you some, a couple of times. You're like, oh, my gosh, what's yeah. what's going on on the field? And then I tell you, this, this last game was like, I f it didn't happen to me often, but it felt like I had played a game. And, Is that right? And, and I don't think it was anything to do with 93, you know, the comeback and all that stuff. It's just that when you see things developing before they actually transpire, you're like, if I see it, uh, why don't they see it? And yeah. it's really, really frustrating. Well, that's why I love sitting next to you because you're always calling out different things. Obviously, so many years in the game for you, you, you know exactly what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yep, that's exactly right. That, that guy was going to be open. And that's exactly what he said. Yeah. He said, so uh, let's, I just want to ask you real quick, what do you think about this Texans team? And then we'll, we'll kind of dive into your, your history in the game. And, you know, I, I think Bill O'Brien, I think um, Jerome Solomon had a nice uh, bit the other day. He was talking about um, he, the GM 
Uh, Bill O'Brien has done a fantastic job, right? Acquiring the assets that he needs, um, making the trades. And that's really what leadership is about. Sometimes you make decisions. You have to have some vision of what you want to become. And when you make the decisions, oftentimes not everybody sees it. I mean, that's yeah. just what leadership uh, is about. And then having the courage to kind of stand while your vision develops. Mm -hmm. And then eventually people want to jump on the bandwagon after the fact. And that's okay, too. You know, you welcome them along the way. But I think when you get those assets or you have the skills to get those assets, at some point you got to convert that, right? And I think to the extent that he's been able to do that, uh, the jury's still out and he needs to convert it. I mean, because winning, div uh, you know, um, division championships are great, but you got to go beyond that. You know, if you've got the skill set, I measure trades kind of like I do a flatline situation. It's like, how do you value a trade if it worked or didn't? If it makes you better, it was a good deal. That's the only criteria that you evaluate trades. Yeah. Anything more than that is confusing. And I always tell people who try to say anything other than that, I say, you can't snow to snowman. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> That's don't, true. don't try. Well, it has made them better, right? Yeah. I mean, they've now yep. gone to, to the next round, which right. they hadn't done the last couple of right. times. Right. And, it, you know, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. But yeah. they did it. Mm -hmm. And now this is the next big test. It, it'll be tough in Kansas City. They've won over there already, but it'll yeah. be tough. Different team, though. Yep. You know, Kansas City's added uh, Defense Mike is getting better. Yeah. Yep. Uh, big you know, power pushing, pocket pushing, 300-pounder, um, you know, got a lot of experience, played with the Patriots for a number of years. I think this is his sixth year in the league. And then, of course, Suggs, they've added him. He's a future Hall of Famer. So that defense is totally different. Yep. And then they've got uh, Tariq Hill. He's 100% healthy now since uh, that shoulder situation that he had. But it's a different team. And uh, I think at the time, Mahomes was dealing with a dislocated kneecap or some kind of injury he had. It was kind of undisclosed totally. But uh, – <laughs> <laughs> as is often the case these days. But, um, yeah, it's a different team. Well, let's talk about you then yeah. a little bit. Um, when you – I always start off kind of these interviews by asking the one question, how do you sum up your journey so far, both football, broadcasting, life, yeah. to get you to this point? You ever kind of take a step back and be like, oh, my gosh, what I've done in my career? Yeah. I have a high standard. My, my mom was my standard. My dad it was great, too. He was a wonderful man. Both of them have since passed away. But um, – she came from really nothing. He did too. Left East Texas when he was about 14 years of age, came to Oklahoma. So when I measure things, I say, okay, well, how difficult was it to begin with? I kind of had a, a head start, right? They set the table for me, and it was the first one in our family to go to college. So that, that part of it kind of set me up to do more. So I think I should be able to achieve more. I think we've done some really cool things, you know. Um, got four beautiful daughters, been married for 32 years. I mean, that, that part of it is great. Um, been able to be in leadership roles um, on professional teams, uh, captain on the Super Bowl championship team with Joe yep. Montana, Ronnie Lott. Um, was a captain of a national championship team at Oklahoma um, and, you know, contributed greatly there. So in terms of the broadcast side of it, had a great opportunity to develop along the way while I was with the Oilers and then KPIX out at uh, San Francisco and then WABC in New York and then hopped over to CBS, um, uh, the networks there, and was the longest tenured lead analyst in the studio in the history mm -hmm. of CBS Sports. So that part of it is, has worked out as well. And yeah. for me, I, I value the successes uh, or determine the success by how you transition. You know, football is one thing, but can you convert whatever it is that you've learned in that space, leadership, um, all the stuff that you do off the field, if you can convert that in another discipline altogether, um, then you, I think that's really the definition of for success for me. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you compare the successes that you've had in both mm -hmm. your playing days and your days after? Mm -hmm. I know they kind of 
intertwined there for a little bit. I, yeah. I do want to ask you about that 87 <laughs> season, your off season when <laughs> right. you were on the air yeah. and on the field with the Oilers. But how do you measure your success in both? I mean, is it just totally different for you? No, it's not different. It, it, all of it interconnects the, the disciplines that you use. And now, if you're in a cubicle someplace or, you know, back in the days when we used to have edit bays and you're, you're working, you're doing things, knocking out work, uh, if you get upset or something happens, you, you discuss it with your teammate, you know, and you, you, there's yeah. an amicable, amicable way you, you deal with that as opposed to go shooting you know, on the next play, you know, yeah. I mean, physically hitting them, you know, yeah. popping them. Yeah, you don't want to do that. You don't, don't, don't want to do that here. <laughs> HR, you know, so, so you can't, there's ways that you, 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 um, you know, solve problems. It's different. But what I learned about it is uh, we all want the same things. We all want to be successful. We want to be the best at whatever it is that we're, we're being asked to do. And tactically, how you go about that is different. Now, the, the value for football for me is that every single play, um, unlike in traditional life and work, you're being evaluated at a high level. And you may not, you may go periods of six months, five months without getting so much as an attaboy or some type of feedback from superiors in certain ways. Maybe not so sure. much in TV because it's a little bit more immediate. But in football, you're being evaluated with the people that matter most to you all the time. You're going into meetings to discuss what you just did all the time. And at the end of that practice, you're going to go into meetings with your position coaches and reevaluate you what you, mm -hmm. what you just did. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn about, about performance, how you respond to criticism and coaching. All of that stuff uh, really tests you. And, and I think that that, to me, uh, how you're able to convert that process to mainstream life, I think it really speaks to um, what you've learned and how it impacts your life going forward. So when did you get the, uh, the journalism bug? Like when did you did you set something you always wanted to do when mm -hmm. you went to school at OU? Yeah, I think Coach Switch. I actually went to Oklahoma as a petroleum engineer, you know, and I got first totally couple different. Of years totally different. <laughs> you know, growing up in Oklahoma, you know, you're exposed to a lot yeah. of that stuff. But I didn't have family, and there, if my great grandmother, uh, going all the way, my great great grandmother, going all the way back to Emancipation Proclamation. I'm talking about 1865. We had 640 acres. You know, that was what they gave you, 40 acres and a mule. And we had several people in the Tillman, wow. Tillman Butte family that passed that, that land on. And so we had a lot of land. In fact, the Bushes owned property uh, that was next to my great-great-great-grandmother. No kidding. And, yeah, and they did some horizontal drilling and stuff, which is a different story altogether. But <laughs> Seems a little but, bit more complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. But but anyway, I um, I, I kind of learned a little bit about that and start, and continued to pay the taxes on the land for many, many years. Sure. And uh, in Panola County uh, in uh, Beckville. Texas right out not too far from Longview so that that experience kind of got me interested in it uh, just watching what the family was doing during that time period but I didn't you know it's such a cyclical business and if you're first generation opportunity you can't really leverage that the way that somebody that's been there in a long time like a mm -hmm. T-Boom Pickens you know or somebody yeah absolutely. You, it's, it's a different thing altogether because it goes through generations and so not having that experience I felt like I needed to do something else that I could get some more traction in, and that was broadcast and coach Barry Switch is the one I credit for inviting me in, uh, to his show and doing his show and another gentleman named um, Al Ashbeck who was a radio guy and um, station was KTOK in Sports Talk, and he let me sit in for him when he went on vacation and have me in as a frequent guest. So that's where I got the bug at Oklahoma University and then kind of yeah. uh, leveraged it from there. Uh, before we kind of move on, just touch, yep. touching back on your family history, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we all kind of sometimes forget maybe where we came from family-wise, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's it's good to appreciate. Like my family dates back all the way to Spain. They yeah. came and my grandparents and my great grandfather, they came over to mm -hmm. Cuba and then mm -hmm. they from Cuba all, here to the United States. I mean when when you see where you are in your life and 
then think about what those ancestor did to set you mm-hmm. up. Was that kind of put everything a little bit more into perspective for you? Yeah, it does put it in perspective. And, um, you know, I know I, I make an annual pilgrimage to Cuba and, and I learn right? a lot about the culture. Wow. A good friend of mine uh, named Tim Heddington, uh, the Reverend Dr. Tim Heddington. We go over and, and uh, we've got a lot of friends over in Cuba. You know, I've never been. You've never been to Cuba? I've never oh been. Oh my gosh, you yeah. got to go. I know. I mean, retracing those steps with Che and all those. I mean, it's just the leadership. The history is such a rich, deep uh, thing. Yeah. I just, I guess for me, it's just coming from it and the, realizing what my family had to go through. Uh-huh. I think it's it's hard for me to kind of make that jump. Right, Although yeah. I'd love to go with my sure, grandfather yeah. and my father, mm-hmm. but knowing the difficulties that they went through, yeah, um, yeah. it's still f- kind of hard for me to reconcile. Okay, I'm still going to go to this island and kind of mm-hmm. still kind of appreciate while that's sure. still in power. And it's kind of a little hard mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, but, I understand. I mean, I don't I don't hold it against obviously anybody. No. That's fantastic that you've I mean, been able no, to go. One history. of these days, I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah. You, you need to go. And again, I can definitely um, at least comprehend what you're saying I may not be able to empathize but I can comprehend what you're saying I, I know why those feelings are, are there but just from the standpoint of if you just look at it purely from history places where Hemingway you know would distill away and and just think about mm-hmm. life and write good stuff and yeah and, and and obviously there's a deeper political um narrative that that trumps all of that stuff but no matter what level you're on there's so much rich tradition about yeah. the place I mean it's incredible um the Cuban I mean, people are something else. they're they're <laughs> wonderful though man I mean they, they just when you walking down the street I mean to walk look up and see a 57 Chevy and, yep. and that's still working and functioning and if it if it isn't it will be soon because they've managed to find ways to make things work and so when you come back to the states you're like what is this planned obsolescence all about that we have here you know <laughs> I know those 57 Chevys work better than my 2010 Nissan Altima right now <laughs> I just got it back from the shop well, I can relate to that yeah man. um so Football days. Yep. You, you go to OU. Obviously, a lot of talent on the field. You know what you're mm-hmm. kind of getting into there. When did you kind of come into your own and uh, realize, all right, yeah, this is I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can do this. I can play at this level, and I can, you know, even go on to the next level. When did you kind of realize that? Well, there are two points. I guess the the first inflection point when I felt like I had some athletic ability at all happened in a sandlot um, in when I was around eight, nine, ten, eleven years of age. And I know you're talking about later, but to me. No, that, that's the first step. But, yeah. that, but that's the first step because what that did, it gave me, call it bliss, you call it you know, ignorance or whatever. But I juked this one little kid in our time, uh, city called Bobby Pennington was his name. And we had this. Oh, poor Bobby. Uh, poor Bobby Pennington. <laughs> this lady named Grace, uh, Miss Carrot, Miss Grace Carrot at the end of the street had a, a lot. And it was kind of like a shape, like a football field. I mean, we didn't have a lot of property, but she had this space and we all congregated around that space and that's where we kind of honed our craft and you know one day I juked him really bad he was supposed to be the best athlete right yeah and and everybody was like ooh you know <laughs> yeah, that's right and I was like ooh kids do. Yeah. did I do that yeah. Yeah. so when I juked Bobby Pennington man there was this kind of thing that came over me it was like confidence and I leveraged that thing and I can you know I can tangibly remember that as an inflection point. Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah. really bizarre, but that's when it happened. I'm still looking for my athletic stuff, by the way, but that's uh, that's a totally different story. Well, I'm anyway, looking no. for it now because it came and left, you know. So. Okay, so that's the first step. That's yeah. good. And then you said number two. And, and then the number two, one? when I got to Oklahoma, you know, you have a, a measure of ability. But when I saw linebackers that could run as fast as I could run, many of yeah. them, guys like Jackie Ship, who was a first, second round draft pick, first round draft pick for this, um, 
Miami Dolphins and Thomas Benson, who played for the Raiders. There were guys that, and Kevin Murphy, that was just a huge Tony Casillas. I mean, defensive linemen that could run really, really fast. You know, we had some really talented guys. Ricky Dixon, who went into the Hall of Fame this year, the College Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Just so many talented people on those teams. And you're running around, and they're sitting there right next to you when you thought you should have been broken away. You yeah. know? And that, that was the next phase. And so then it became about, all right, you've got a reasonable amount of potential. What are you going to do to leverage that to go to the next level? And then I uh, got hurt, and uh, most people tend to have a correction, kind of like markets correct. We correct, right? Yeah. And then, um, then after that, when I came back, I redshirted my freshman year, and that, that freshman campaign, I had over, I broke Marcus Dupree's record, and um, I was the only first freshman in Oklahoma history to rush for over a thousand yards, and that was a cool experience. Um, but even then, you know, you're only as good as your last series, you know. Sure. And um, you know, had great year, and then got hurt again and then came back from that and first game back I think I had 130 yards against Nebraska and then 150 against Texas and so things were getting back but I never gained regained that that top shelf level um, still had medium you know 700 yards you know that kind of thing until I graduated. Don't sell yourself short that's still pretty good. <laughs> it's not bad but you know it's it's one of those deals when you know you're able to do sure, more and better yeah. and at Oklahoma it was a problem because I mean, our freshmen played, right? If you could play and you could run, you could do it, you were going to play at Oklahoma. Not everybody played freshman young talent, and we were just running them in and out. I mean, we had their wishbone going. We broke the bone a little bit to get Marcus and others the ball, but, you know, we just literally had this endless line of talent coming sure. in and out every day. So if you missed a game, you're going to get Wally pipped, if I can cross <laughs> sports. You're going to get Wally pipped really quickly if you missed any time. And you win a national championship. Yeah. What, what was that? like it was the, cool the crowning achievement for any yeah. college football player it really was cool. a, a title i think after the after it happens is when it really gets special because the years go on and you realize how tough it is i mean i'm gonna head to if he wins the award is still calculating the votes as we do the podcast today but you know i've uh, been talking to some folks at lsu and if their quarterback wins this thing i'm thinking about he's the same guy that was there a year ago joe burrow is a great quarterback skill set set for three years at ohio state and so now What's the difference? Brady, right? His offensive yeah, coordinator. He no comes doubt. in uh, and accentuates his skill set. He has the IP, uh, the intellectual capital to do some things that, you know, uh, they couldn't do the year before. So, but for that person coming into his life, maybe he's a pedestrian quarterback. Maybe he graduates. Maybe he does well, but he won't be a Heisman Trophy winner, right? right. So it takes those kinds of people to come into our life. I think I read somewhere the psychologists tell us there are three contexts in which we learn the most. Uh, when we're thrust into foreign territory, when we experience sudden loss, and then when we have mentor and relationships. Mm. And when I look back over his career, that's kind of what he had. That's kind of what I had. And I think if we all look at our lives and at some level, that's kind of what we have. And we can point back to those places where whatever we learned it happened as a result of one of those three things he is tremendous yeah what he I, is. I mean he has turned into quite the player oh, yeah i mean it's it's amazing to watch that first half performance you know i went to northwestern yeah, we talk about yeah. it sometimes during mm -hmm. i i'm gonna say this stat and i'm kind of embarrassed to say this and you called it in you game this year uh, yeah, against nebraska yeah, yeah, i believe yeah coach fitz uh, yeah no right? coach fist is great but that offense yeah. Needs some help. Well, mm -hmm. Joe Burrow threw more touchdown passes in the first half than Northwestern did all season. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he, that's going to be a great championship game. I'm looking forward to you it. You guys always feel good defenses, though. Yeah. yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, you do. Yeah, that's true. Patty Fisher, mm -hmm. Katie Kidd, and mm -hmm. Travis Willock, those guys are all coming back. Okay, now, we can we can spend a lot of time talking about <laughs> Northwestern football maybe another day. Um, but this one's about you. So uh, so then you go on to the NFL. You get drafted by the Oilers. Mm -hmm. Um and then 
you kind of start mixing your broadcast career and playing mm-hmm. career. So kind of walk me through yeah. how all those opportunities kind of came available to you. Well, I think what the freshman year at Oklahoma taught me, uh, my retro year taught me, was that it's fickle and fleeting, this thing called sports. So if you're going to transition, you better do it in real time. You know, a lot of people wait, and then nothing wrong with taking your sport seriously. I get it. The coaches certainly want you to. But I think having gotten hurt earlier in my career, I got in my car. I never will forget this. I had a, a nice car, got in my car, after that injury, and I went to 68 of the 71 counties in Oklahoma, and I spoke to kids uh, about what my experience was, and I talked to them about having something after the cheering stops. No kidding. And I, I never forgot that. And I didn't care what the coaches said. I didn't care what anybody accused me of of not being focused on football. It didn't matter because that feeling I felt for that brief period of time that I was injured, it, it let me know what was really most important to other people. They really didn't care. And there was nothing wrong with that. It's just the nature of the thing, right? So um, that that kind of projected me forward, uh, that that experience, getting hurt. And so... Um, and the, that attitude. Yeah, that too, attitude. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, um, it's an important lesson I think that everybody has to learn, should learn, the inherent nature of your life cycle and anything. And then once you're aware of that, then it's up to us to do the things that insulate us from sliding backwards or not leveraging that to go to another level. And, yeah. um, and I think that's what I... I tried to do. So in 1987, you playing for the Oilers, and then the offseason, mm-hmm. you get a TV gig. I yeah. can only imagine yeah. somebody trying to do that now. Yeah, um, It was a different world, right? Sure. You got your opportunities. But yeah. how, what did you learn on the desk over at KPRC, I believe, right? right? right. Channel yeah. 2 here yeah. in town. What did you learn about yourself during that? Mm-hmm. And how did you start you know, growing into kind of the person that you eventually became? Well, uh, if we pick it up at that spot, uh, folks across the town um, – it, it came about because of some work I was doing for the NBC affiliate in, in uh, Oklahoma City. I got you. And um, when I got drafted by the Oilers, then uh, they saw some of that work and then asked me if I'd be interested in doing some stuff for them. And like you said, it's a different time, right? So <laughs> I had the time to do it, yeah, so I right, did it. Right. And I would literally leave practice and then go over and you know do a package for the 6 o'clock. And, and, uh, That's crazy. You know, and then, then when I started anchoring and reporting, reporting first and then anchoring, I would do 6, six and 10 you know, sometimes. It just, what did you know, t- your teammates crazy. say? It was crazy. Well, it was, it was problematic sometimes. I mean, Jerry Glanville hated it. And Is that right? Right. Yeah, he gave me the nickname Channel Two, and uh, <laughs> he used to call me Channel Two Darling. That was my name, right? Oh, yeah, yeah that's so, very endearing. So he says, Channel Two Darling, how's she doing? He says, you know, sometimes I look at the film, and I see you running down there hitting guys in the lips. He says, I, um, I, I, I love you more than I did yesterday. Of course, I didn't love you much yesterday. You know, he was a prince of left-hand compliments, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. He always would say things like that. And then in San Francisco, I still kept my my gig, did some work for KPIX, but I would come and spend the off-season working for the NBC affiliate here in Houston. But that was, a again, it was a problematic thing because guys like um, uh, Michael Carter on the defensive side would, would accuse me of, snitching to the media and telling them what's going on inside yeah. the camp and I didn't I never would do that no right? no of course not you know, no so, but that's uh, kind of an interesting balance that, yeah that, I mean yeah did, yeah did some of the guys I know they would give you a hard time but 
Did they kind of understand what you were kind of going for here? I mean, Some of them is, did. Yeah. Some of them is... were great about it, even though they didn't have designs on being in the broadcast business. I remember a similar setup. It was, you know, just go backwards in terms of the technology. I had a big Tascam recorder, and we and I had these two XLR connectors, similar to this, but it's not a digital setup, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had to mic create my little stereo foam patch and everything, <laughs> and I'd walk in there, and Joe Montana would sit down and do interviews with me, Ronnie Lott, who are good friends to this day, and we'd steal away in a, in a locker someplace and do some some interviews and uh, and and people would say, "What are you going to do with that?" You know, and I, I was doing podcasts before podcasts were, were out at the That's time. That's pretty great. You know? So it was cool. San Francisco, you won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, how did winning a Super Bowl compare to winning a national championship? That's a great question. Both of them are important. Both of them are good. But I would have to say we leverage the, the Super Bowl probably more than anything else because mm -hmm. it's so big. It's such a um, a giant event. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's an event. You know, and, and sports is kind of, particularly college sports, is kind of tribal, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think pro is, but you only have 32 teams. College, you may have 126, 130 in a given you know year cycle. So people are broken up into regions and little sure. pockets. So I think the, the the saturation of their passion is not as deep as it would be. When at the time it was a little different. It's sure. even, it's even yeah, more we, patchwork yeah. across it the is, country. Now definitely. everybody can see their teams Absolutely. wherever they are and whatever opportunity. Yeah, they it's can. a fractured so, yeah. media universe. There's no question about it, and they're viewing it on different platforms. So I, in some ways, it's more intense because guys are marketing even more. They understand that it's fragmented, mm -hmm. and everybody's got their own marketing, you know, outfits now. Most um, most athletic directors these days have marketing backgrounds. They're not yeah. old helmet heads that played the game, right. and, you know, out recruiting. That's not the, what they do. They are marketing guys. And most NFL players have their own teams yeah. now to do their That's own right. thing. I mean, it's not didn't rely on yeah. you know the four major networks. Yeah. I mean, you can well, have your own team, release videos whenever you want, yeah. and that's a, and that's I a remember, big component. You I know, remember you can control that, the narrative if you want to call it that a yeah. little bit more. You know, that's right. And I remember when that inflection point kind of happened. I started the first. Um, me and a guy named Scott Lasky started the first uh, NFL network shows they had called uh, The Red Zone. Mm -hmm. And so The Red Zone was that um, package that we did there. And I think we called it something else too. But we did it out of Stanford, Connecticut, and I would leave CBS Sports and then, you know, uh, move up to uh, Stanford, Connecticut. We'd cut that show right there. But the NFL Network had its show there before it moved out to Los Angeles. And um, then they expanded from there. But that's where it all started, man. I remember we were on the front lines of that. What was your uh, biggest takeaway from your playing days? Biggest takeaway well, from a standpoint of – Just, you know, well, whether, yeah. whether it's life or whether it's – how did it make you a better person, or what did you learn from it, learn yeah. about yourself from your playing days? Well, what would you say? You know, I, I think um, the fact that life is fleeting, you kind of get a little bit of that when you're in college, but you're, you've got the 21 and bulletproof mindset, and it doesn't yeah. really sit in at that level. But when You, you got get, a taste of it, right? I, mean, I you did. Got I hurt got hurt, and times, so that, yeah. I got a little bit of it. But even then, the finality of it all uh, didn't really sink in until you started seeing guys, your contemporaries, when you got to be 30 and 31. And I never will forget the first time Gary Brown called me old man. And I was 31, 32, you just turned 32, I think. I was about to turn 32. And as a running back, that's ancient, you know. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, I never, never will forget it. And then I remember the, the, the point – where on a stretch play, Daniel, I, I couldn't make the stretch. You know, uh, I was in practice, and I was supposed to run to a point right outside the tackle, and the, the, the play was designed to make it look like the quarterback was trying to get there to sell, 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 sell uh -huh. it. 
and I was supposed to make him stretch, and I couldn't get to that point. The quarterback was actually beating me to that mesh point. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, I see it. I see where I'm supposed to be, but right. I physically – and I never said anything to anybody about That's it. That's tough. It yeah. is tough. Yeah. But that – it was like literally two days later when I, I decided to retire. Is that right? Yep, yep. I never will forget it. It was just like – it was. So that was the moment? That, was, that the... was the moment. I didn't say anything about it, but that was the moment. And I've had a couple of those moments. Uh, the one that happened before then was with Joe Montana in practice. And I've, I've got a little bag of ice in between reps on my ankle. And he had done something to the inside of his elbow. And this will probably come full circle when you hear the, the, the story. But he said, hey, Spence, let me see that bag. And so I gave him my bag. So I tossed it back to him. In between plays, he was putting the, the ice bag on his elbow. Well, he had torn the tendon. Nobody really knew it at the time. He didn't even know it. Wow. And that was when Steve Young replaced him. Oh, it was a that? nondescript moment. Nobody knew anything about it. But when I go back in hindsight and think about that moment, I said, that was the inflection point. That was a changing that, of the guard. That right was there. a changing of the guard, and no one knew about it, right? Interesting. So to answer your question, it's really about the finality of things and how nondescript those moments um, are here, then they're gone. I remember reading a quote once, uh, I think it was Kierkegaard that said it. He said that each of our lives is like a smooth stone tossed across the surface of a pond. We skip and we dance and we skip and we dance and until finally we run out of momentum and sink to the bottom to 100,000 fathoms of nothingness. There will be a sound, although no one will hear it. It will make Vulcivius seem hardly noticeable. Wow. You know? That is... <laughs> and that, that, that that's, quote, that's I never so forgot true. it. Yeah, I, I, you know? I wouldn't have forgotten that either. No, I don't think I'm I, ever going to forget I it I wanted now. to scream. You, know, you want to scream, but you don't say anything about it. It just happened. Yeah. You know, it just happened. And then you pick up with your broadcasting career. Yeah. Right? You had a couple of opportunities. You mm -hmm. came... Well, you stay here in Houston, and mm -hmm. you just jumped on. Yeah, well, came near Houston, got drafted, came here, and then worked at uh, Channel 2 right. almost for a decade, um, doing what we did there, anchoring there on the weekends, and then uh, during the week filling in for Craig Roberts at the time. What was that like doing it full-time? Full-time, it because, was. Uh, that's a change, right? Yeah, it is it's a, a change. totally different it's a change, schedule you know, and all yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah, I think part of what it is is deferred gratification. I knew that the football thing was going to come to an end at some point. So for me, I could – full stop and then just try to you know go into the process and then I think I would have had less respect if I'd done that okay. but doing it while you're in the game show the measure of commitment coming after practice after you've spent all that time and oh no question yeah. <clears throat> that made a big difference and I think I gained some respect that I otherwise wouldn't have been there I would have been probably more an understudy and a a plebe, you know, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think we were able to kind of circumvent a little bit of that. So what were your early days on camera like? Everybody remembers oh, the early yeah, days. yeah, sweating beads. I remember <laughs> the first time I was on set, and even though I'd been, you know, in performance scenarios before, and Bart Ennis, my good friend, he was yeah. uh, uh, with me, and uh, and he was in the back, and I came back in after the show, and I'm just sitting there, bullet, bullet, <laughs> popping all over my forehead, right? He goes... And he's laughing. He's got this little chuckle on his face. Yeah. He says, Man, I was right there with you. He says, I remember the first time I did it too, and I was popping. And his dad was, you know, historic broadcast here in Houston and so forth. But he that 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 moment with him sharing how that felt was crazy, man. And then then you get to do it more and more and more. And you try to get better at it, and um, and kind of like football, right? Did, did, was there a moment? 
kind of come full circle on the uh, two careers. Yeah. You had your moment with Bobby Pennington. Right. Don't know where he is, but he, he might be still getting juked out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah. Uh, was there a moment in your broadcasting career, whether it was here in Houston or when you went to CBS Sports? or you're, you feel When I home? knew when I yeah. knew I'd right. made it or just or Well, not, not just made it, but you of... feel like so... Like you're comfortable. Yeah, right? yeah, I do remember the moment. Um, I think it was a, it was a. We had at the time, uh, you, you know, I don't think you, we were in the position that they wanted to be in in the market. So they yeah. start trying stuff, right? People sure. start trying things, and so we got a big board, and we were the first station in the market to have the big board where we were interacting with it. And I always enjoyed that part of it. It's somehow engaging, even though people weren't there. You know, I wanted them to put certain video in the board, and I wanted to engage and talk to it. And being able to create a narrative and tell stories and walking and talking and being what we call Italian in the business, um, <laughs> that really helped me, and I enjoyed that process. Sure. It was performance, right? That part of it really lent itself to me, and it was really counter to what the management there really wanted. And I actually I went out and bought a music library, and I wanted to put music under my highlights. God forbid. I was doing that when nobody was doing it. And they, that, they wouldn't let excellent. me do it. Oh, they, they wouldn't let you do it. It. Oh no! It. And the guy that was the sound man, he was like, "Oh man, that's right, great." We had cart machines at the time, yeah. right? And then the 360 systems didn't have their systems yet, but you know, I gave him this whole library of digital stuff that I had bought the rights to, and I said, "Man, look, this is what we want to do. It's not overriding the highlights. It's just drive something nice and driving." And I got a note that said they didn't want to do it. Give that Sports Center feel a little bit. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, a little yeah. Bit, make it seem a little bit bigger than what exactly. It was. But they didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it. She wanted it clean. So, oh, well. you know how that goes. No. <laughs> yeah. No. No. But you know what? The the business is changing. You know this, mm -hmm. right? I mean, especially in local news. I mean, right. Different is always preferred mm -hmm. at these days. I mean, yeah. you try to you know push the envelope as much as you can. Mm -hmm. You know, I just did a report on Texans availability. Uh, and I did my report from the car. Mm -hmm. He was like, hey, I'm leaving practice. Let's throw to a couple sound bites and, you know, kind of dress it up a little bit, yeah. something, make something different, and interact with the people social media wise. I mean, that's just no kind of the, the business awesome. that we're in. That's, yeah. you listen, it demands it, the times that we're in. Yeah. Um, so, so I put a little music track there, too. I hadn't heard anything. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then you go on to CBS Sports. Um, and how was that different? Because network is completely different than local. Yeah. Um, did you have a little bit more fun there? I mean, that, that I, did. I, yeah. I did. They left me alone. You know, they left me alone. <laughs> they let me do what I do. And by then, you've gotten some chops developed. And being at WABC for those couple of years really helped me a great deal. You know, knowing that you were in the number one market in the nation. And at the time, WABC's number one local affiliate in the, in the nation. So um, that bigness of that really did something. I was working under a guy named Scott Clark, who was a legendary broadcaster in New York City. You know, there were iconic people that were at WABC. So I was a, aware of um, the legacy of the place. And that helped me, again, it was one of those confidence moments. You know, it's, you know, confidence comes from demonstrated ability. So there's no way that you can kind of assimilate it. it you have to do it. There's no question about it. But having those people around, it's kind of like a J.J. Watt effect, you know. Oh, yeah, he's no a, question. He's a force multiplier, right? Yeah, yeah. And even if you're, you're good Good, but you're not the best you can be when when you see a guy shows up with a torn pectoral muscle eight weeks ago and all of a sudden he's not quite sure it's going to hold up but he's going anyway oh yeah that affects you that affects you you know you you're going to do things that you probably wouldn't ordinarily do if you're human and uh and if you're wavering or flagging at all you're, you're going to at least test a little bit a bit more about what you are about and so so for me, that's what WABC did, and it pushed the limits. But I, the big lesson that I learned, uh, which was kind of ironic, it was um, 
So when I got to WABC, I'm doing what I do there. And then t- two years went by, and I got a call from the networks, WABC, I mean, uh, CBS Sports. Yeah. And so Sean McManus calls me up, offers me a job. You know, Terry um, Ewert was the guy that actually hired me, good friend to this day. But Sean McManus, who I had to go in, the president of CBS Sports, and later the, the news division as well, you know, interviewed me whole nine yeah. yards. and then Whole process. Me, yeah, <laughs> whole process. But I started working, Daniel, and I remember – about a month doing both, I was still under contract with WABC, right? Now, remember oh. now, this is New York. Yeah. So it's owned and operated both. That's right. Nobody, you know, but they kind of, they're like little archipelagos, little <laughs> islands to themselves. You know, they yeah, kinda, sure. Everybody stays in their cubicle until one day, one of the guys looks up and sees me on ABC local. <laughs> On local, and then I'm doing the weekends on college football today. Oh, boy. Yeah. Love the song. You know, and I didn't think originally written for Super Bowl 16, by the way. And that was canned. Yeah, that was the thing. Okay. 16 is still with the SEC, though, to this day. So, at any rate, then I show up to work at weekends, and he comes in and goes, Hey, Spencer, did I see you on WABC this week? And I said, Yeah, I got two more weeks, you know? Yeah, right, right. You can't do this anymore. No, you got zero weeks. That's right. So that was that, but I, that was probably the first time that's ever happened. But hey, man. So you did the studio work for a long time. Yeah. Um, and now you're on site mm-hmm. uh, doing games. games with Tim, yeah. long time Tim friend. Brando. That's one of your good friends. You've yeah. been with him for a really long time. Yeah. Tim and I have been together 23, 23 of the last 25 years. That's amazing. It, it is What's amazing. What's that relationship business. like? Because you could tell when you guys do games, it, it's, it's fun. It's I mean, a is, great relationship. Is that what you had to learn when you went? to the booth yeah. games make these broadcasts entertaining in mm-hmm. a way because sometimes the games are that's eh, right. not great See, that's what i learned from tim i mean i think i kind of had a little bit of an entertainment bug i may not be the best entertainer but because i'm kind of a serious person in some ways but i i don't take myself too seriously i can never tell that by the way from our conversations <laughs> <laughs> but i but i try not to take myself too seriously and i don't uh tim is a performer his dad hub brando uh was a performer had led a band and had a show uh, in Shreveport, I did Louisiana. not know that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And matter of fact, Tim Brando's past is really interesting. He would have been a game show host if, but for Ralph Bernerska beat him out. I think David Letterman was also on Wheel of Fortune as well. And I think Merv Griffin en- ended up hiring Ralph Bernerska, the former kicker, who was retiring at the time. And then Tim Brando was the third guy. But he almost got it. Uh, but didn't, and then Sajak got it after Bernerska. Some something happened with Merv yeah. uh, Griffin and that deal. But um, so his background is performance, and that's where I learned the art of, uh, appreciate the art of performance and, and what we do. I mean, how you incorporate it exactly. Into yep. You know, because there's so many voices out there that are the same. Oh yeah. Tim Brando is a performer, and I really love how he performs and makes something big. And I've been in stadiums where this has been half full. You don't like those situations. And I've been in ones, the big house, um, you know, Cotton Bowl or wherever it yeah. is that we're big places that are jam packed. He can make them all feel important. Sure. And that, that part of it is what I learned and appreciate about him and his skill set. And then as the art of the, the business that we do. And it's so important. And, um, you know, one thing about it, I, I, I gave him a quote years ago that I think he took to heart. I said, We live in a world of images and impressions. Most people aren't willing to pull away the veneer to find out what's substantive happening, so we deal with what's on the surface. But the part about living in a world of images and impressions is what he latched onto. Mm-hmm. He says, that's what I've been trying to capture when I bring young guys in to help them in this business, to help them understand that people are going to make an impression 
you're going to make an impression and they're going to have an assessment about it. Perception and evaluation are inseparable. Yeah. If I see you, if I hear something, I remember Bart Fader who hired me at WABC. When he, he said, the reason why I hired you, Spencer, is I was sitting in the hotel room and when you were doing that big board, you made me want to go turn my volume up on my TV. He says, if you don't make me do that, he says, I probably don't hire you. Yeah. And, and it's it's one of those deals where something. there's just a one little thing it could yeah. be one little thing you know and that, that one little thing in a market where sometimes things are even yep what is the differentiating factor there the guy's got charismata you know he's got a, a level of charisma that supersedes yeah what what other people have well uh the photographer i usually work with mike order i think you've mm -hmm. met mike yeah. um uh he always lives by this mantra that you know if they love you then they're willing to work with you more despite maybe possible disagreements mm -hmm. you get someone to love you first that's right and you know, that's what strong. he yeah and he he lives by that and i've learned a lot from him on in that respect mm -hmm. um i had to ask you about the you know these days we we kind of touched on a little bit with athletes mm -hmm. and the fact that they're a little bit more guarded and mm -hmm. some do transition obviously into sports but yeah. what, what do you what do you take away from some of the athletes and the mindset that they, they have now with somebody that is in media right and looks at them i mean what what is your take on on that. Well, I've always maintained, um, without the context being what it is today, I've always maintained that athletes and entertainers live the most precarious lifestyles with respect to potential for success. They live facilitated lifestyles. And the likelihood that they will fail increases because they live facilitated lifestyles. If someone is continually facilitating your success as you move up, at some point in time, you're going to have a false sense of what it takes to really achieve. And you see that happening with these guys that are so-called five-star athletes and four-star. Well, well who that told happens, you? happens a lot. Yeah, who told you you were four? Who told you you were five? Who? The competing papers that are out there and they want the oh, a guy behind a, a guy behind a keyboard. Yeah, exactly. A yeah. guy who probably hadn't been away from that keyboard That's to right. see other athletes. So, That's right. So those things. So I think athletes are, and entertainers of all sorts, uh, in this kind of 15-minute um, uh, secular world, secular world that we're in. Everybody's is about image and impression again. Mm -hmm. um, I think the new new thing can be the thing that replaces you so quickly. Right. And uh, we've always known that's been true about the physical part of athlete, you know, athletes. We, you know, we know the 3.2 year average uh, for the NFL player is shorter for a running back actually. Uh, yeah. So that that kind of um, shortness uh, is what kind of shapes your opinion about everything. So when I see these athletes today, most of them don't really know. I, don't, I can't blame them because the culture has shifted. They're making so much money or have the chance to make so much more money. Crazy money. Crazy money that, that uh, a secondary career is not a necessary thing in many regards, mm -hmm. but still the majority of them won't make it long enough. But that's or, your message to these guys, yeah, right? I mean, sure. You always have to have that back. You, yeah. had, you had a... A good approach, and it worked no out question. for you. No question. I did have a good approach, and, and I thank my parents for that. Thank the mentors that I had in my life and, and people who, um, who understood what life was about and were able to transfer that knowledge to me, and uh, hopefully uh, it continues to pay dividends. Spencer, thank you as always. Uh, it's always good talking to you, and I appreciate you coming on to uh, the pleasure's mine. episode of Time Out with DG. Hopefully uh, people can tune in. All right, sir. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Brett.